Hello and welcome to a very special Burst Ball episode. We are retelling the story of Scotland's ultimately failed Euro 2008 qualification attempt. Now, as you know, we're in the middle of 2020 at the moment and we should be enjoying all the riches of European international football with Euro 2020. Obviously, that hasn't happened for obvious reasons. So we thought we'd take a look back at the previous Scotland campaign from 2008 when we came so close. Probably the most memorable campaign of each of our lives. Obviously, pretty young looking at the, the faces here in our Zoom call and I'll introduce the guys in a wee minute. But we've, we've not got too many years between us and we've I don't think ever really seen Scotland play at a major tournament. We've obviously been alive when it's happened, but I don't think we're old enough to really enjoy it. But we're going to look at the next best thing today, and I've got three wonderful Scottish guys joining me to do that as well. First off, all the way from Kilmarnock, Kilmarnock Callum. How you doing, Hamish? Thanks for having me on once again. Looking forward to, to getting through this podcast. So am I. Callum Fisher, he's here as well. Hi guys, how you doing? Uh, looking forward to going through what was a, a formulative experience for me in my football life, I think, this campaign. Looking forward to it. And Matt Finlay, he's um, taken such a big love for this campaign that he's even wearing the iconic Scotland kit. It's the dark blue with the gold trim of the 2006 07 kind of era. And you're looking good, Matt. You looking forward to this? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've dug out my, my dad's um, top from the time. Um, my one, obviously, I was 13 or something at the time, so it doesn't quite fit me anymore, but uh, a few too many laggers. But uh, yeah, I managed <laughs> to get dad, dad's one on. So no, looking forward to it. Five years in the making or something, we've been talking about this. So um, looking forward to get stuck into it. Yeah, it has been you know a long time, probably pretty much since we started Burst Ball. We've been looking at doing something like this, a historical look back at a campaign. And, um, you know, it was, we're all kind of relatively similar ages, and it was probably... Were we kind of were we in our teens yet, or was it kind of you know that ten to fourteen kind of age? So we've all got decent memories of it, but you know it is like you know a decade and a half ago. So I think it's going to be quite interesting going through this, looking at some of the players that made this qualification campaign, some of the opposition stars we came up against. And um, the thing for me when I was doing a bit of research is there's something from every single game. I can relate to in this, like whether it's Michaelunas diving, whether it's you know terrible goalkeeping performances, um, iconic goals, amazing Scotland performances. It's just um, a fantastic campaign and probably my favourite Scotland campaign of the lot. Would you agree, Cal? Uh, I so as I mentioned, it was kind of a formulative experience uh, for me. This one, I think that is that you spoke about here, which is kind of where. Maybe you're not going to your club's games quite as often as you do in your teens. Um, in Scotland, are probably or your country are probably the biggest thing for like football wise. Um, so for me, this campaign was probably me at my kind of peak in terms of being a, a Scotland fan. As you say, there's memories of every game, stories behind where we were, what we were going through uh, at the time, uh, how the games affected us and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think for me certainly there hasn't been a Scotland campaign since then that I've been quite as enamoured with and involved in and, and passionate about. So as I say, such a this is set up there with, with some of the best football and or certainly some of the most notable footballing memories of, of my life. We'll come on to those Scotland memories in just a wee second. Just to, to give you, the listener, a bit of an understanding of how we're going to do this. Such a long qualification campaign. I think it was... 12 matches plus you know so many other stories managers leaving 
um, obviously setting the scene as well. So we, we thought it'd be too difficult to, to do it in one kind of episode. So we've split it into a couple. So in today's part one, we're going to first set the scene. Then we're going to go through the first half of the campaign, Scotland's first six matches. We played every other team in the group in that phase. Um, our manager changed as well. So we're going to cover all that in today's episode. And then part two, which will probably be out sometime in the next week or so, we'll finish off the campaign with some more memorable matches in the second half. So we'll set the scene, first of all, by getting your guys, you know, just your overall feelings in Scotland. Like, Matt, you've obviously already spoken about, you know, going to Scotland games in the past. Do you remember your first ever Scotland match? Uh, yeah, well, certainly the first Hamden one. Um, I think there was maybe one at Pataudry when they played Nigeria about 2002, but um, wasn't that memorable. But no, my first uh, trip to Hamden for Scotland game was um, the final game of the um, Euro 2004 campaign, um, playing Lithuania at Hamden. And uh, it was... All they needed to do was win, I think. And um, a Darren Fletcher scored late on, a, a young Darren Fletcher. I think it was maybe his third game or something. He was 19. And... Uh, he scored a yeah, it was a cracking goal from twenty odd yards, and um, just remember the whole atmosphere. You know, go because it was the three p at the time. It was the peak of like three p.m. kickoffs for internationals, mm. uh, which is which is a shame. It's just not there anymore. But uh, absolutely brilliant. Go down the train. My dad uh, getting into the stadium dead early, and at the time, obviously, everyone would go to the ground really early for Scotland games because they always ramped up the noise. Um, and I always remember that, like, uh, you'd proclaimers blasting, like, an hour before kick-off, the flags going everything. And, uh, yeah, just a really good time. And obviously won that game. Didn't get to the playoff against uh, Holland, which is obviously the more memorable of the games. But um, really, yeah, I think from then, I think it was my eighth... Because the Scotland games always fell on my birthday. Uh, I'm on October birthday, so there was never an, a domestic game uh, that weekend. So that game, I think it was maybe my... God, it would have been my ninth birthday or something, maybe my and, um, tenth birthday maybe, and just remember it, absolutely brilliant, and uh, I was I was kind of hooked from then. I think my first Scotland game was at your ground, Casey, in terms of not, not full Scotland, but under-21s. I think, you remember we were in a group with Germany, I don't know if it was for, was it the O2 World Cup, or was that Euro 2004? We were in with Germany. Yeah. Year 2004. Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, they must have, in the olden days, did they have, did the other 21 groups mirror the real groups? Or was that just a coincidence? Because we were definitely in, or maybe it was a friendly, I don't even know if it's a competitive game, but we played Germany at Hamden on the Saturday. I think we drew 1-1. But on the Friday night, we played at Rugby Park. The under-21s played. And, um, yeah, that was my first ever, obviously not a full international, but... Um, that was my first ever kind of time seeing Scotland play and um, I really need to look at the Germany team for that because I bet there's a few names now I think maybe Schweinsteiger played just thinking Podolski maybe as well at that kind of stage but um, it was at Rugby Park and uh, I remember Alan McGregor was sitting in a row in front of me I think he was in loan at Dunfermline <laughs> at the time it's weird how you just remember stuff like that and I think this podcast is going to be just picking up random shit that we remember from, from that kind of time but what was your first Scotland game at, at any level Casey? Um, I quite a funny story, obviously. Well, in regards to Fisher saying that at this point, this was always kind of like the country was the big thing for you. But for me, I mean, it's always been 
club over country. Um, but that is down to my kind of dad's influence, man. I, my dad hates Scotland. Like, I, think, I think he's uh, he's like long shanks when it comes to the Scotland national team. I think so. Uh, well, so. I <laughs> so he's um he, my dad's never really I think he went like in the seventies and all that like to, to, to all those games but I, I think he'd seen enough to 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 put him off the national team for life so I've I kind of gotten to Scotland more than more accord um and coincidentally the first Scotland game I was actually at was Germany at Hamden the the one each game um. Mm. And it was actually my now boss, obviously Alan Brown, the SMP MP, who took me there because he used to be my neighbour and that, and he had a spare ticket, and uh, he turned me to that game. So it was actually him that turned me to my to my first Scotland game, which was quite funny. That's quite but cute. after that, I mean, I, but <laughs> after that, it was more just like, because when Matt kind of spoke about this before the the beginning of the podcast, um, about where we are, I didn't really start going until I was in maybe like fourth or fifth year at the school. I think um, they kind of. Try to think of the the campaign. It would have been um like the when Scotland played Spain in that um the yeah. Euro twenty twelve one. Mm-hmm. That's when I started going to the games. And I've been to most of the home games since, but no, th- that was a kind of a, a kind of blind spot for me almost during this era. I, I did watch the games and listen to a lot of them on the radio and stuff, but and I was into it, but I just didn't really go to the games. I say I was always more got the Commonwealth games in Scotland. Yeah, just kind of picking up on what you were talking about, Hamish, um, about going to the kind of youth games. <clears throat> Spoke about it briefly uh, before we started recording. My, my first Scotland game was at Somerset Park with my grandpa uh, against the Faroe Islands. Um, beat them 3-1. Um, and I was trying to dig this game out just to see if there was any highlights or anything, but there wasn't. But I found the kind of the squad and stuff like that. And you had, so this is uh, October 2003, I think. <clears throat> so you had like David Marshall, Charlie Adams, Scott Brown. Uh, I think David Clarkson scored twice. Stevie Smith, obviously played with Rangers and Kilmarnock. Um, and Ross Wallace and guys like that. So uh, that game had completely escaped my whole memory uh, until I started doing research for this pod. Um, in terms of the the kind of the main team, <clears throat> my, my first game was... Um, we lost 1-0 to Norway at home. McFadden gets sent off for Humble. handballing it on the line. Mm. So I, I, I went to that with, with my <coughs> mum and my dad um, because that was like a kind of family thing. And like my mum, it doesn't matter if it was like snail racing. Like if, if one of them's representing Scotland, my mum's daft for it. So that was kind of what we did as a family. So kind of like Scotland, I'd say that, that game, that was my first game at handing out. It was that, as I say, Scotland was the biggest thing for me um, at that time. And um, we didn't have like Sky or anything, which is what a lot of the games were on. So I used to listen to them on the radio, like sports sound and that, uh, David Begg and stuff. So <laughs> it was just like that whole, it's just such a, a really nice nostalgia because um, coming into this campaign, obviously we started to get good and the radio like commentary was li- listening to supporters um, and everybody was buzzing. So that was kind of my formative kind of Scotland experiences we going to the odd game with, with my family um, and then listening to the games on the radio and I think with the radio as well I don't, if you're not at the game radio always makes the game sound bigger do you know what uh, I mean it like can be a dull nil now and you know they're yeah, talking like it's Brazil playing aye like every every time like a team's got the ball it sounds like they're going to score and like Hamden in the background and stuff it's just uh, it's just brilliant brilliant memories so as I say that was kind of my introduction to, to football in, in Scotland at that time. Right, let's set the scene then from that or, or ahead of that Euro 2008 qualification campaign. Euros in 2008 were held in... Austria and Switzerland. Yes, very good. Do you remember much about those Euros, by the way? 
just briefly. Uh, I, I remember the that the game that stood out for me was that uh, it was Czech Republic Turkey, and it was in the pissing rain. Uh, like uh, uh, it was horrendous. I think it got stopped three times or something. I have Petr no Czech memory dropped, of that at all. Aye, uh, scored one. or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Petr Czech dropped a ball like, in the rain, and uh, the the turkey keeper as well. I remember him. He had the but I remember that game, but no, I think I remember quite a few of them. Of course, that was the one that England weren't there, so it was quite weird for Scottish folk to kind of. Oh. Dip uh, into remember it. They, they had the game at Wembley against Croatia, the Wally yeah. with the Brawley with Steve McLaren, McLaren. and yeah. Yeah, quite uh, topical. Scott. But then Bilic uh, at that time was obviously the, the Croatia manager, wasn't it? Because obviously we uh, went England to win. But no, it's funny, Matt, that's exactly the game that I remember for you in 2008. Because I think uh, Czech Republic were up 2 0, and then Turkey came back so. and beat them 3 2. And I, I yeah. remember Czech, that ball came out, and then he, he dropped it. Aye, and I he dropped it. it. Pings it into the yeah. back of the net. Mine for that tournament is just, I was getting that. So that was the summer that I was going from, I think probably the same for Hamish, we were going from primary school to secondary school. And I was getting a tour of uh, the new, or the, sorry, the old Belmont, shout out to Belmont Academy in there, the old building. And it was the night uh, Netherlands absolutely pumped Italy in the group stages, like mm-hmm. 3-1 or 3 nothing or something like that. And that game was on as we were doing the tour of the school. And I was really disappointed because obviously we'll talk about Italy throughout this campaign, but I like that Italy team for that period is like my favourite team out with like any kind of Rangers team and anything like that. So I was really disappointed because Italy were absolutely awful at like that <laughs> tournament um, and still managed to get through the group stages ahead of France, I think, because they were in the same group, weirdly mm. enough. Um, but yeah, that was I. That's the kind of main memories for that one. Is is obviously that Czech Republic game, England not being there, and and Italy being pretty woeful after winning the World Cup, obviously two summers before. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of rewind back to almost that summer, certainly the autumn of two thousand and six. That was when the campaign started. At that stage, Scotland were aiming to end ten years of hurt. Sadly, the World Cup in nineteen ninety eight is still the last competition that we qualified for, and. You know, what are we at now by the time next summer's played, if if we get there, which is obviously, you know, a massive if, and I'd be virgin on us not getting there, probably more than us getting there. We'll be looking at 23 years. So this was when it was 10 years. So if that doesn't make you feel old, then I don't know what does. We had two managers since the 98 World Cup, obviously Craig Brown, who took us to that tournament. He kept with the national team all the way until October 2001 and then resigned after we'd failed to qualify for Euro 2000 and also the 2002 World Cup. We then get Bertie Votes in after that. Um, he took over the, the mantle of being Scotland manager and he arrived with pretty good pedigree. Now, he'd won Euro 96 with Germany, something I didn't realise had happened um, until I was doing research for this show. Matt, you're the oldest here, I think I'm right in saying so. You're probably the one I, I should come to for this. What was the kind of mood when we appointed Bertie Volks, if you can remember? Because, you know, winning Euro 96 with Germany, then managing Scotland, what, five years later, seems, you know, a pretty mm-hmm. big deal. Yeah, I, I can't remember where he'd been before uh, Scotland. I think it was like some was it somewhere in the Middle East he'd uh, been? It was Kuwait. Kuwait. He'd only been, yeah, he'd only been at Kuwait for about six months, I think, by that point. Uh, I, th- I think with it because I remember the I remember the campaign like Craig Brown's last campaign and they, they actually came really close to it so I think by then it kind of maybe gone a bit hadn't gone stale but I think maybe they were looking obviously somewhere different I think at the time 
from what I can remember, it was kind of received quite well. I think it was quite exciting, like a <clears throat> excuse me, like a foreign manager coming in, someone with different ideas and and so on. And you know, he came in and obviously I think he was wearing the tartan scarf when he get introduced on the pitch at hand and uh, bef- like with the press call and that. And um, just uh, there was probably a bit of a buzz about it, as you say, him, but she came with a bit of pedigree. You know, there wasn't, but. I think quickly what we've realised in Scotland, or like if you don't get the results, then you know the the press will probably eat him alive because he maybe doesn't get it. They use the excuses of "oh, he's no one of us" kind of thing, and you know, which is which is a harsh. And to be honest, see when you look at that group, that Euro two thousand four group. I mean, yeah, at the time Scotland were second seeds, but it's probably a group where you do you think well, you know, they did well. I mean, four po- finished four points behind Germany. You know, it was. I remember some of the games, some really big games in there, and just. Just didn't quite do it, and obviously he was hung out to dry. I think, um, I think just after it, I think it was Moldova it was the final nail in the coffin for him. Uh, it drew him, so but yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great era, but you know, um, I think at the time it was kind of well received. I mean, it's one of those with, with Bertie folks that like, I mean, looking back now, and I remember growing up, obviously kind of a wee bit out of touch with Scotland, and I just remember him being a joke figure, like, uh, like the, the way that the, the press crucified him, but you look back now, his record's actually nowhere near as bad, and he's still the closest, he's ten, t- uh, he's taken us to the closest we've been at a major tournament uh, since then, because he got us to the playoffs, and obviously we get absolutely smashed by Holland, but... Um, but no, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, when you look at the eras of like Berlin Levine, who I know get criticised as well, but Betty Vokes is almost like a total joke, but it just seemed to be we were still high expectations at that time when he came in, and then that was the kind of beginning of, of what we're used to now. But at, when you compare it to where we're at, like, Betty Vokes actually didn't do anything near <laughs> as bad a job as it's, it's portrayed. Hmm. We're just looking at those, you know, group tables. Euro two thousand four, as Matt touched on, we finished second in that group, four points behind Germany. We won half of our matches, although the matches that we didn't win included a two-two draw away to Faroe Islands. I think we were two 0 down in that game as well. Like mm-hmm. pretty, pretty embarrassing. I didn't have any interest in Scotland at this stage. To be honest, I didn't have any interest in football at this stage, really. Um, but just looking at the results, it seemed like we could up our game in the big stage. And maybe just something that's been, you know, sim- symptomatic with um, or systemic with Scotland over the last fifteen years is the um, ability to, you know, self destruct when you're you're playing a team that you should be beating. So that two two draw away to Faroe Islands. Obviously, we lost six one in the playoff to the Netherlands after winning the first leg one 0 at Hamden. On to the World Cup two thousand and six table, and it's worth saying Betty Vokes left after three matches. Then Walter Smith came in. We finished third in this group behind Italy, who took 23 points from their 10 games. Norway were second with 18 points. We were a further five points back on 13 points. We won just three of those 10 games. However, if we, you know, moving into the qualification campaign we're going to touch on on these podcasts, we, under Walter Smith, we did beat Norway and Slovenia both away in two of our final three matches. And I think, I remember us playing Belarus at home yeah. and we still had an outside chance of mm-hmm. qualifying at that stage. I think Kutusov, I always we, remember that name, he scored for Belarus. I think it was 1-0. We drew that, or did we draw? We, lot, no, we, 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 we could beat 1-0, I'm sure. He yeah. scored after about 10 minutes or something. I and that was that. I just always remember seeing that score, 1-0, and then that guy that you just said. Kutusov. Uh, it's I weird how names like... Dead Kutusov and I've forgotten his name now, but the, the oh, Czech wait. boy who died, oh. the, uh, oh, died, yeah. died. The Czech boy who <laughs> died 
Brezek or something like that, was that his name? Um, those names just stick out, um, you know, in Scottish football history. But as I say, in terms of that, we, we beat Norway, thumped them in Slovenia as well, away from home. Do you think there was signs there, Fisher, that, you know, under Walter Smith, that there was a side being built that could maybe go on and, and do what we thought could happen in Euro 2008 qualifiers? Or was it still too early? Well, I think um, at that point, I mean, you look at just briefly touching on votes again, he gave like 40 players their debuts for Scotland. And I mean, that included McFadden, Fletcher, obviously looking back now, but Andy Webster, promising at the time, Russell Anderson. But then you've also got like Graham Murray, Andy Gray, like Robbie Stockdale, guys like that as well. Um, I think what you get, and again, we're obviously looking at this for the benefit of hindsight, and this is including, from my point of view, like when, when Walter Smith came back to Rangers, but with Walter, I think you can see the early signs that he's making Scotland. Firstly, hard to beat. They've got two really good results away from home. Um, he's developing, I know it's difficult with international teams, but there's, and, and we'll see this as we move through the qualification campaign, there's a core of that squad that he obviously very much trusts that's starting to get built at, at this stage as well. Um, and I think even just going back and looking at the games from before uh, Walter Smith comes in to, to after and ending that campaign, on, I know we spoke about Belarus there, but the difference is night and day. You you know, it's a... It's a the, the, there's more discipline in terms of defensively the, the, they're getting the better out of the attacking players for example Kenny Miller scoring twice in Norway um, so I, I certainly think at that stage obviously looking back at the time there would have been optimism because there's good players in that in that squad and we've got good results um, obviously this is before we then know the draw that we get before the Euro 2008 yeah. group but I think you can see early signs that um, when you compare Walter Smith to, to the 90s and some of the absolute horror shows he had in Europe with Rangers, that he's, he's obviously developed as a manager and he's learnt because he's gone away and, as I said, got these results. So certainly at that time, I would I would, I would agree that there, there would be cause for uh, optimism. So you mentioned that draw. Euro 2008 comes around. We're aiming to end the 10 years of heart. And I'm just taking this from the, the BBC website when they reported the draw. They said, quoting... Scotland face a major battle to qualify from one of the hardest groups alongside France, Italy, Ukraine, Lithuania, Georgia and the Faroe Islands. Now, we all know how tough a group this was. Just to, you know, put it in black and white, Italy had just beaten France in the 2006 World Cup final. So not just having the two best teams on the in the world in your group. On top of that, we had Ukraine as the third best team and they just made it to the quarterfinals in Germany at the 2006 World Cup and they only lost to Italy who won the tournament. So that just puts into context, you know, three of the best eight teams in the world in terms of, you know, getting to the, the quarterfinals of the World Cup were in our own qualifying group. Not only that, but in terms of Euro 2008, we had the top two from all seven qualifying groups qualified. That's obviously 14 teams plus the two hosts made up the 16-team tournament. So there was no playoffs at all. You had to finish in the top two to qualify. So not only did we have to finish ahead of either Italy or France or Ukraine, but we had to finish ahead of two of them. So mm. is this you know, the most impossible task ever set for a Scotland team, Matt? Yeah, probably. Um, and at the time, obviously, you're, you're looking at that that table and you're you're thinking right well Scotland are obviously fourth seeds there I think uh, which had kind of shown you how far they maybe dropped away in that in kind of the recent years so 
very unlucky. Um, I, th- I think with that, I think Walter Smith would have probably just been thinking, look, try and build on what we've done previously, you know, and maybe get the odd result. I think definitely the times has proved with this campaign. Scotland were very hard to beat at home. I get they always seem to raise their game against the big teams, and even that's kind of dwindled away a wee bit in the last few years. So you're looking at that and. You're 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 just thinking, looking to build, and maybe as as Fisher touched on, just you know, making them difficult to beat, like like he like Smith had developed as a manager when it, like at Everton, he'd have been used to that, like being a going up against kind of the likes of Man United, Arsenal, all that pretty regularly, and then finding ways to maybe take points off of them. So, would have been a tough ask. I'm sure they wouldn't have been thinking about getting close to qualification. Do we as a country revel in being the underdog, Casey? <sighs> Aye, I I think it's. It's it's always aye, absolutely. I mean, it's funny with the the kind of Sky Sports clip that that you that you fired in for us to, to have a wee look at for for the Lithuania game. And you see Andy Gray talking about how he doesn't fear Scotland got to play France or Italy or that because I say we're well, underdogs. However, it's the games against your Georges and Lithuanians that that, that you actually you fear for the country. So no, obviously it's the same with everybody, man. I mean, it's like you want there's there's no pressure on you getting into these kind of games. Well. We found out later on in the campaign that there was a lot of pressure on these games, but you first get into games against France and Italy, you're not expected to take anything. It's a bit of a free hit. You can go sit in, frustrate teams um, and, and, and try and hit them in a the counter. Um, so no, absolutely. I mean, for, for Scotland, we all know fine well. I mean, if we're ever the favourites for, for something, then I mean, <laughs> we're feeding for our lives. Right, on to game one then, and it was Scotland versus the Faroe Islands. It took place at um, Celtic Park, more on that in a wee second. Saturday the 2nd of September 2006, Tony Blair was the UK Prime Minister. George W. Bush was in power in the States. UK number one, guys, any guesses? 2006. Even artist. Uh, That would give it away. Um... Don't know, like Acorn Lonely or something? <laughs> <laughs> if I said Gerard Piquet, Shakira. Oh, Shakira. Yeah. Any ideas Hips, what one? Is it Hips Don't Lie? Yes, Hips Don't is Lie it? was uh, UK number one when Scotland got the year 2008 qualification underway. Billy Gilmore had just turned five, and I feel like that's kind of older than I thought he would have been at that stage. Aye, because he feels about 14 right now, so <laughs> when yeah. you look at him. Yeah, aye, that's very. It's actually creeping me out a wee bit that that's now fourteen. Well, almost fourteen years ago. Two thousand and six is like fourteen mm-hmm. years ago. It just doesn't seem like it should be a thing. Scary stuff, right? Why were Scotland playing at Celtic Park? Because Robbie Williams had a concert at Hamden. He booked out Hamden. Very good. Very I good. generally tried to find a reason for that yesterday when I was doing research and I couldn't find it anywhere. So at the time, yeah. That's me learn something new for today. The Tartan Army were certainly pretty entertained, weren't they? We, <laughs> the Faroe Islands goalkeeper, maybe. Yeah. That not just peak Scotland, but man, the <laughs> SFA Gee Robbie Williams, Hamden Hill and Ashley team, man, Shipped out of their own home ground. Aye. Right, I was at this game. This was the only game in the entire qualification campaign that I was at, and it's not just because it was Celtic Park. Maybe that was one of the reasons. I don't know, but. It finished Scotland 6, Faroe Islands nil. Goals from Darren Fletcher, James McFadden, Kenny Miller, Gary O'Connor, as well as a Chris Boyd double. Now, a couple of kind of interesting, weird things I remember from this game. I remember someone telling me that you could fit the entire population of the Faroes into Celtic Park and still have <laughs> 10,000 seats lying empty. 
And, you know, ironically, there were, I think, about 10,000 empty seats, but 50,000 for for a game against Fairwellens. I know it was on a, you know, a Saturday afternoon. I think it was a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday, but you wouldn't get that nowadays, even on a Saturday at three o'clock. You wouldn't fill Hamden, would you, when Fairwellens came? So maybe that was just a, another example of this, the Tartan Army still, you know, believing in the team, but also the reality of, what is it, like 23 years now, um, not mm. quite been the case back then. It was only a decade and it was probably still you know, just a bit of an unlucky period rather than, you know, a whole generation of, of duds effectively. But what do you remember about this game, Matt? Were you there? Uh, I wasn't there, no. I remember uh, catching the just after, I think maybe 15 minutes in the game, I was playing football with my pals uh, just over at the AstroTurf uh, and uh, I got back, I mean, 15 minutes in and Scotland were 2-0 up, I think. So we were like, oh, brilliantly, here we go. And, um, but no, I do I do remember uh, just watching the goals. I think, I think what I always, like, like doing, I would watch the game at that time, and then Saturday night you'd always get sports scene extended highlights. And you kind of still do now, in, ter- in fairness, but it's a bit different. And um, it just kind of felt like you always wanted to watch the game back again, even if you watched it. Like I, I, as a kid, I think that's probably the mindset I was in. And um, yeah, it was funny watching the goals back for this. Um, I haven't seen them in a good few years, and uh, some shocking goals, obviously for, from a Pharaoh's point of view. Um, uh, but um, just, just. I think it was a perfect game for Scotland to start with, to be honest, because, you know, if you want to go and just stamp your authority, give a bit of confidence to the team, you want to go and play the worst ranked team in the world, probably one of the worst ranked teams in a, and put six by them, it's better, no better start. Mm. I yes, think you see in this so I think you see in this game as well um, the effect already and I'm probably going to bang on about this over just about every game uh, that he's involved but you see the Walter Smith effect straight away we're at home against a smaller side that we should beat and we win and we win comfortably um, and that's kind of just what Walter Smith does did it with Rangers across these two spells um, when teams come to Ibrox nine times or, you know nine times out of ten um, Rangers, <laughs> Quite Rangers win I quite literally, and uh, but the the thing is, obviously here we see that Scotland just came out and absolutely blew them away. I think it's is it four nil after about thirty five minutes or something. Five nil after that. Five nil before um, half time anyway. Yeah, and I mean you've got McFadden, Miller, and Boyd all playing up front together, so it's obviously just a case of the team's been set out to just go win the game and just show that obviously we're the better side. The thing for me at this point, uh, I actually hadn't realised. Uh, just as we go through the kind of first stage of the campaign that Boyd was involved quite as much as he was I knew he played this game but I'd obviously kind of looking at this game in, uh, in 2006 at this point um, Boyd was obviously probably our, mo- as our most informed striker he'd scored 26 goals that calendar year the year of 2006 and had 39 the season before for Kelly between Kilmarnock and Rangers and it's just ridiculous when you see Chris Boyd's goal scoring um, record at this stage that he didn't maybe go on to have the career that he should have been but at this stage I mean Boyd is absolutely lethal I know uh, Jakob Mikkelsen and the, the Faroe Islands goal has an absolute nightmare for four of them but I've, I mean Boyd is just at this stage is, is unbelievable I'm, I'm sure Casey probably agrees with, with that given I, I, I'm with you I'm with, uh, with you there Fisher I mean like the, the Boyd gets a lot of unfair slack when it comes to Scotland, I think, man. And I think we had actually a conversation in, in the group chat not too long ago about Boyd's influence at Scotland. And his record's actually 
not too bad at all. And as you said, in, in this campaign, it, it was like, like for, for these kind of games, I mean, he was, was a first choice striker and the most informed striker in the country. And his goal scoring record, record for Scotland is fine. And to be fair, it was just more down to, as you said, the way his career went. Because he's always been able to put the ball in the net, but he just made too many wrong decisions. I mean, <laughs> the, the fact that he went to Turkey, what, like. 29 year old kind of sums it up like he, should, he shouldn't be going there at mm. that age he should, he should have either come back up and signed for Rangers at that point and get, get into the forefront or try to find another team in the championship in, in England or whatever and, and I, I think that's just probably one of the regrets Boyd will have and obviously I'm delighted they come back to Kowarnock a lot sooner but I mean for him personally he'll probably look back in that and think that he, he should have certainly made a lot more of his career considering how well he started Is he still at Kelly for this game? No, no, Rangers. Aye. Is he? He, Rangers. Of course he wouldn't have got capped if he was at Comarnock. <laughs> of course he wouldn't have. Aye, they joined Rangers in the summer, of, eh, sorry, the summer, the January of 2006, and he'd been. I think he's he's definitely top scorer for Rangers the season before. I think he was top scorer still for Kelly. Even aye, but left. it was a record. Aye, that he was top goal scorer for two teams aye. in the same calendar year because it was unbelievable for us for for that first six months, and then got his move to Rangers, and uh, you know he just kicked on for them, scoring 30 goals a season for Rangers. Ridiculous. Uh, another thing I, I really remember about this game after looking back at the highlights was the whole Kenny Miller big mm. deal of the fact he was in a massive goal drought. He just joined Celtic in the summer. Obviously, this game's taking place at Celtic Park. And I remember, despite it being against Faroe Islands, how big a deal it was for, well, not me personally, but a couple of folk I was with at the game, like my dad and other folk who were Celtic fans, I remember them saying, oh, he's broken you know, the duck now. Um, at Celtic Park he'll go on and he'll kick on I think to be fair maybe a couple of weeks after he then scores obviously his, his first goal for Celtic in the, the derby but um, Darren Fletcher I think it's maybe the third or the fourth goal Scotland win the penalty Chris Boy's already scored his penalty um, so you would think you know he'd take the next one and obviously if he had he would have scored a hat-trick but Darren Fletcher goes and fetches the ball gives it to Kenny Miller who was on this real long scoring drought Lovely touch there Darren Fletcher, who won the penalty, picked up the ball, threw it straight to Kenny Miller. On a rainy afternoon in Glasgow, can Kenny Miller end the drought? Just! <laughs> well, they all came themselves. Hardly heard with a great amount of conviction, but... Danny Miller will just be delighted to have a goal here at Celtic Park at last. And to be fair, just like Boyd's penalty, it's an absolute shocker. I've never seen two worst penalties go in. The goalkeeper is one of the worst keepers I've ever come across, um, with the Gary O'Connor goal at the end, topping it off. Um, but, yeah, the, the cool Kenny Miller thing, I remember that being quite big at the time and the fact he'd scored at Celtic Park. I don't know how long the drought had been, but the commentator... Um, mentioned it as well on the commentary and um, it was clearly a, a really big deal at the time I can't quite remember if it was maybe a couple of months or longer than that but it was you could tell from the celebration and that that it was it was quite a big deal well, I thought it was actually quite harsh because Kenny Miller does uh, for the first for the Darren Fletcher goal the first goal um, he does really good work out on the left hand side and David Proven who's the co-commentator um when he's analysing the goal and the highlights, he goes, Kenny Miller, who can't buy a goal at this ground. And I'm like, he's just done really good work to beat like the right back yeah. to then 
play into Darren Fletcher. So obviously there, there was a big deal getting made of it. And I think before he, he scores his penalty, you can see, I think it's maybe the McFadden goal or something like that. There's a point where Kenny Miller goes to hit it and I think he hits like a fresh air shot and then it comes straight to McFadden. So... Um, he was maybe he was maybe trying too hard, but as you've mentioned, uh, Jakob Mikkelsen in the Faroe Islands goal, formerly of, of Partick Thistle. I mean, his his body was liquid that day, like everything just. <laughs> if, if, if that match, if that match was to take place today, man, he'd be getting investigated for match fixing. Man, <laughs> performance. There's no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. But ironically, just to jump kind of quickly back to Chris Boyd, which is quite funny. That must be oh, Boyd. That must be his only two goals at Parky, doesn't it? Hey. I was thinking that way. I was thinking that when he uh, thingy he didn't have a great record, did he? No. So just on uh, Jakob Mikkelsen, the goalkeeper, right? So obviously everybody knows we had like the sticker albums that you used to get, and like there was like the SPL ones. So the two thousand and three, two thousand and four one was like my first one that I ever had, and obviously like any time. Like you would go and get packs for like the local shop or whatever. I swear on my life, every single pack I had, this guy was in it. Like just. <laughs> Like, I hated his face because I was like, because like I, I obviously really wanted to complete the Rangers team and that, and I loved getting new players and try to complete the book. But this guy was just like one of those randomers that was in mm. this pack, is in every single pack. So uh, I'm delighted to go back and see that he had an absolute nightmare on this day. <laughs> Did you know, Matt? This was the fourth consecutive Euro qualifying campaign when we'd been drawn with the Pharaohs. Um, well, I knew. I knew- yeah, well, thinking about it now, yeah, because I do remember the the first, the second uh, campaign with the Euros, because um, that was the one that they, they drew with, uh, they drew them away, wasn't it? But um, I, it's funny, like you look at that group and in the years since, like Iceland, Lithuania, and Faroes, they've all appeared quite regularly. Uh, I obviously it was one before, so then mm-hmm. they they coming into it, uh, and then. And then it's bizarre, isn't it? Like Lithuania is always a team that we can't yeah. seem to avoid, uh, and obviously the Pharaohs. And uh, so yeah, but <laughs> have we played the Pharaohs in a competitive game since this group? Though I don't uh, think we have. Have we played played them in a few times in a couple of friendlies? Played I feel like we played Tordry, the Tordry. Yeah, aye. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Uh, but I, I so bizarrely enough, yeah, we've <laughs> we've probably not played them since. So. Yeah. Couple of other things I remember from this game. You guys, I don't know if any of you were there, but if you weren't there, it's the kind of thing you wouldn't remember. But quite literally, the worst corner kick I've ever seen was taken by a Faroe Islands player. Um, <laughs> he took the corner kick and put it into the side netting, but it didn't even reach the side netting. It just bounced straight out. It was the whole stadium. I think was pissing themselves. It was just weird things. Like that. You just remember things like that. Um, mm. Terrible. Do you remember anything about Gary O'Connor at this time? Just that that Hibs team were pretty. He wasn't playing with Hibs though. Was it locomotive was Moscow? Moscow? Oh, locomotive Moscow. Remember, he went to Moscow. Yeah, he won the cup. He scored the winner in the cup final for them, didn't he? Strange. I always remember that. Before he went to Birmingham. Aye. Right? Aye. He was decent. I always remember his hair. He had that fucking rat tail thing almost at the back. Aye, it was like the new mullet. That's what that was. That There's a few players that have got that. You see, McFadden's got it. Boyd's got it. Mm-hmm. Like the kind of long and like spiky on the top man. I like I had that. <laughs> I think we it's weird because um, they, they always say that like you know Scottish players don't ever go abroad in that. But you look at the three strikers who played that game. Gary O'Connor played in Russia. Kenny Miller played in you know Turkey and where else? Canada. Canada. And um, obviously Chris Boyd played in Turkey as well and America, Canada, whatever it was. So you know all three of them you know went abroad to you know Eastern European countries and it just goes to show. But 
interesting stuff. 6 0 Scotland that, that first game started. Um, obviously, a, a really good start for us at Celtic Park. And, you know, in terms of the other results that happened after that match day, a couple of weeks prior to that, the Pharaohs had actually played their first game. I don't know why they played a random game against Georgia um, two weeks before any other matches in the group, but they did. And they lost 6 0 at home in that one as well. So, not a great start for the Pharaohs. Well, the other scores from this match day when Scotland were playing were Georgia nil, France 3 and, rather surprisingly, Italy 1, Lithuania 1. Bit of a surprise there. People in Zaghi cancelling out at Danny Levitus opener for Lithuania. That game played in Naples. Anyone remember anything about that or, or any feeling about it? That's a bit of a shock. World champions, bit of a come down there drawing with Lithuania at home. I vaguely remember something that Italy didn't really start this group particularly well. Obviously, then kind of kick into gear, but that's that seems to be a bit of a common theme for Italy. I think through the years they tend to start qualification. I mean, by by start, I mean they maybe draw the first game and then go and win the rest of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not talking about like losing like three games or anything like that, but mm-hmm. uh, that's the vaguest memory was, I have of that. Was was Lippi still in charge at this point, or did they move on to Donna? Donna Doney Donna Doney at this stage because uh, Lippi stepped down after they won the World Cup I don't know if he uh, I couldn't remember if he designed or not with him right game two and it was Lithuania away obviously putting it in context Lithuania had just drawn with Italy so a tricky away game played in Kaunas on the 6th of September 2006 and we won this 1-2-1 goals from Christian Daly, a good header from a corner and a really good Kenny Miller goal as well and a late consolation, a brilliant goal from Lithuanian player Maseka, I think it's pronounced, never heard of him at all but I doubt he's ever scored a better goal than that. Now victory was probably expected in this game but as we say Lithuania had showed that they weren't a bad team getting a draw against Italy and you know at this period of time Matt we remember they had a, a massive influence of Hearts players as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny when you look back at that that kind of that era. It was the year, so they just won the Scottish Cup then, hadn't they? So um, that was the so proper. Do, Hearts do you team think? That, it, see when see when you mentioned that Hearts had just won the Scottish Cup. Do you think then Lithuania are a better team than we give them credit for? Because if you think if Scotland were to play a team like Hearts, and I know the whole Hearts team wasn't made up of Lithuanians, but you know there were probably seven or eight of them, and Hearts were mm. a good side at that stage. No, definitely. Uh, I I think Lithuania probably would have been. They've always been they've they've been bad, but they've been like the better of the kind of they're not quite a minnow, if you know what I mean. Like that, like especially for Scotland, like played them that many times, but uh, they're not a Faroe Islands. They obviously are a lot better. So I think I think because we'd grown used to that kind of team, uh, that that Hearts team, you're probably thinking, oh well, we actually know these boys. They're probably half decent and will give us a game. And you actually yeah. see in both the games, I know we'll come on to the, the home game against Lithuania next time, but uh, they were quite tricky games for us. So to get to get out of that game with the three with the three points is, was commendable, to be honest. Horrible place to play your football. Definition of a tough place to go. Have you seen the highlights and it just looks like an absolute dung heap? I like the old kind of like... Uh, Soviet Union like Olympic <laughs> Stadium with the running track and stuff like that this yeah, is I'll, I'll be honest before I watched the highlights this is one of these games I completely forgot ever took place like I just reading about it I couldn't really picture it seeing the Kenny Miller goal kind of brought it back but yeah. I just a kind of typical just one of the games you just need to get it over and done with you had anything else Callum? No, as I said, the the main thing that, that stands out for me that day was just the the kind of Kenny Miller goal. Um, and if I'm right in saying, 
that would have probably been shown in the BBC because I remember all the all the away games used to get shown in BBC <laughs> One at that time. Um, but but I, I realised that was also in Sky Sports with a clip. But I'm sure that BBC had a deal when all the away games were shown on that. So like it was shown in council telly as you as you'd like to call it. But um, no, I was just I always remember that tough place to go. Went and did the job, and I mean it really kind of obviously the. The first fixture between Lithuania and Italy kind of set the the theme for the group. That obviously, you know, Italy maybe weren't up to it as much, and that Lithuania were were a half decent side. So I mean, it was it was a very very good result. A couple of stats from this one. We won't linger on it for too long. Scotland were unbeaten in seven away games. You know, after they got this result, which seems you know that's a lot of games to to go and beat an international level for a team like Scotland. And also it was our first back-to-back wins at international level for almost three years as well. So pretty impressive. Final point I wanted to make, and either you can you know chip in on this one, I miss Andy Gray. I miss him. I know what he did was wrong. <laughs> and his, his comments were shocking. I'm, in no way am I going to defend him because he embarrassed himself and so did Richard Keyes. But I'm simply putting it to his punditry. I miss him. I like Andy Gray, I, man. I, I good, like Andy Gray. I don't like Richard Keyes. I hate Richard uh, Keyes, man. But uh, Andy Gray is a legend, man. You know, I've just remembered. Uh, I, do, you, do you remember? Uh, do you remember the video? I think it hopefully on YouTube with Richard Keyes, and it's from this qualification campaign when we play Faroe Islands away. <laughs> right. It's like Scotland, as we know, have had trouble in the Faroe Islands on the last two occasions that they've played them, but they are better now. This is what happened. When they met this time around, match commentators, former Scotland winger David Provin and Bill Leslie. No promos, can't be asked. That's it. See ya. Come on. Yeah, see ya. Daft little ground, silly game. Fuck off. Shitty little ground, fuck off. <laughs> Shitty little ground, fuck off. <laughs> the thing is, Randy Gray's like the. His analysis is actually really good about like the goals and like what's yeah, actually going on. I mean, and obviously, yeah. uh, Gary McAllister, uh, considerably younger Gary McAllister than the one now <laughs> um, in the studio with him, I thought the analysis was actually really, really good. Uh, and his comments kind of come back to what we were talking about just at the start, about Scotland fancying themselves as underdogs. Obviously, he says, talking about France, he's not really worried about those games, but he goes, we feel we can have a go at them. So... Already, I think you're starting to. You can just feel it in the analysis that the 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 confidence is starting to build. Um, the only other point I wanted to make in this game is I know we've kind of given him a, a a lot of discussion already, but it's interesting that Boyd drops out for this for this away game, and I think just as we start to see, obviously as we, as we move forward, it, it's a kind of precursor for what happens with uh, when when Walter Smith does get back to Rangers because yeah. Boyd in the kind of European games away from home well at, at home as well to be fair and obviously Celtic away the kind of bigger games Boyd tends to drop out so already you can kind of see that maybe he's identified that Boyd isn't really the type of player that you need for those kind of games very good point right other scores from this match day Ukraine getting a narrow win 3-2 at home to Georgia and in a repeat of the World Cup final from a couple of months earlier, France 3, Italy 1. A bit of revenge for Les Blues there. Govu double and Thierry Henry scored as well. Gilardino for Italy. I remember him with mm-hmm. the most outrageous AC dive I've ever Diving seen at Celtic Park for, yeah. for AC Man. That's the only thing I ever remember him for. What was his first name? Anthony or something? Alberto. Alberto yeah. de Gilardino. Whatever happened to him? One of those players that just arrived and then you know fell off the face of the earth. Anyway, 
match day three and we were in action again at Hamden and it was the visit of the World Cup runners-up France, 7th of October 2006. We all know how this one went and we're going to obviously spend a good bit of time talking about this game. We know the, the big stars of France and, and the fact that they had just finished second in the World Cup and maybe but for Zinedine Zidane embarrassing himself in the second half of that final they, um, they would have won that one because from memory I think certainly in the first half they were the better team but yes we played France no one probably expecting too much but we went into this game with six points from six and it was almost you know a bit of a, a free hit match uh, yeah definitely um, just when you look at the analysis after it and all that and the, uh, Walter Smith talking about it you know um, he said I think they'd have been happy with three points that would win like by by that stage of the campaign so uh, which kind of shows you maybe how how much they weren't thinking they'd do well in this mm-hmm. group but uh, yeah going into it I mean you just remember that uh, the, the the fact that it was Italy and France in the same group and you're thinking God but um, this for me anyway like I mean I'd been to the the previous year's Italy game and it kind of felt that was a wee bit similar maybe to the one that we touched on earlier in the Germany one uh, big teams coming to hand and real kind of tough place to go genuinely it's, it's probably revered around the world as one of the kind of great meccas of football apart from in Scotland to be honest like uh, a lot of folk kind of respect it and um you just you just see it the atmosphere building up and everything and the and the pissing rain just you could I mean I wasn't there but I, I can just envisage in it uh that you know they just felt nothing to lose uh, and we'll touch on it but you, you see that with the game you know they, they really want to have a go at them I think and are up and at them Scottish kind of like maybe back since the wall but you know no fear and getting stuck in and that's obviously what what happened yeah I mean certainly the pitch looks a bit um poor shall we say as well which helps obviously with the rain and I think the the thing that you can you can see from this game is the atmosphere even just watching the highlights I don't think you get atmospheres like that at Scotland games anymore and I know I think we've all been to games recently well recently four four or five years ago against even Germany or, or Poland you just wouldn't I just don't think that intensity is there at Hamden anymore and it's, I mean Scotland have been fairly awful for X amount of years probably since this campaign so it's understandable but it just has this really massive feel about it I mean the noise is, is unbelievable and it, I think Scotland start off actually quite well uh, in the game I mean the thing for me McFadden almost looks gallus playing up front uh, which is that's not a pun because William Gallus is French he does generally <laughs> look like uh, he looks gallus like he, there's, there's a point where he's got the ball and I think there's about five French players around him and he just keeps running obviously he, he does lose the ball but it just shows there's no real um Fear. I mean, that French team is ridiculous when you look at it. Like, uh, I'll just read it out then. It, goalkeeper was Coupe, back four was Sanyol, Turam, Boomsong, Abidal. Then, you know, midfield in no particular order was Ribéry, Vieira, Makaleli, Maluda, and then Trezeguet and Henri up front. It was eight players who had played in the World Cup or had started the game in the World Cup final a couple of months earlier. Obviously, the big one knows Zidane, but, you know, when you're replacing Zidane probably with, you know, Vieira or Makaleli in the midfield, probably two of the best, you know, holding midfielders there's been in the twenty first century. And you've still got quality like Henri and you've got a player like Trezeguet who was, you know, at the peak of his powers probably at that stage. Um crazy when you look at our team as well. Gordon, Daly, Presley, Weir, Graham Alexander, Fletcher, Ferguson, Caldwell, Hartley, McCulloch, 
McFadden that, that we won. No, I, as I said, absolutely. I mean, it, ju- it just shows you, I mean, what the a manager like, like Walter Smith can do. First off, like that, and Fisher made a brilliant point. It just kind of epitomises Walter Smith. These couple of games, as you said, Faroe Islands at home, getting smashed them. That's what Rangers would, like I say, would, would do to a, a St Mirren or whatever at, at Ibrox. But then when it comes to these big kind of European games, you know, they're well structured, well organised, gets the best out of his players. Am I right in saying, did Gary Caldwell actually play holding midfield that night? Yes. Aye. Um, which is quite funny. Um because I remember, again, he's a player that you never really kind of, kind of, not quite a joke figure, man, but, you know, he ended kind of, things ended sourly for him at Celtic and stuff, and, and he kind of about outstayed his welcome in, in the national team um, as well, but was, listening to the, the open goal with him, um, maybe about a year ago now, when he was Thistle manager, and like, like they're talking about how good on the ball he was, which I mean you didn't really yeah. get like, you didn't get enough credit for maybe then, but his maybe I was distribution was uh, brilliant, really uh, good. Hence why he could step up for like I say centre half right into the middle of the park and and no look out of place. Because obviously the thing that sticks out with that is obviously he's wearing number eight, which he just would never <laughs> associate Gary Caldwell with wearing that day. Um, but no, and as I said, obviously we'll get to it with the goal. But even again, to kind of follow on with what Fisher was saying about McFadden's confidence. That day, like when we get the first corner, like McFadden tries to do like a kind of three sixty turn, like to to get the ball, like to to skin the the, the left back, um, which is probably Abadal if I'm right in saying. Um, yeah. at, at that point, you're just thinking, like, say that's that's McFadden getting up against you know a guy who went on to win Champions League with, with Barcelona. So, um, no, it like I say, it just shows you in, in anybody coming to Hamden that they knew that they were in a game. We just as I say, the atmosphere and they just knew it, but it wasn't ever got to be a walkover. France had two disallowed goals in this game, both offside, both marginally offside though. Vieira and Trezeguet, I believe. Henri also mm-hmm. hit the post with a free kick. Just a, you know, oh. ter- terrific, yeah. iconic. Post and then comes back off Gordon's mm-hmm. head. Yeah, and then just the, the most Henri effort ever, you know, starting outside the post, the kind of effort that he just became famous for. Um, and it hits the post but you know Henri had a chance late on when it almost seemed as if he thought he was offside and he headed right into Gordon's mm-hmm. hands but we gave as good as we got I thought in that I mean France were the better team but we gave a really good account of ourselves and then obviously the major moment is the Gary Caldwell goal I mean I'll ask each of you, you can just each of you give your own opinion on it where does it rank for you starting with Matt in terms of you know great Scotland goals no, it's got to be up there. For for me, I mean, I, I know the McFadden one, and rightly so, gets the credit um, it deserves. Um, but you watch it at that time as well, that Scotland have actually put them under a bit of pressure. I think it's back-to-back corners. You know, they've had chances in that game. So you always felt that against one of these big teams, like, get a set piece and get your big guys up. And I ironically, it drops. It's like a slight tackle he puts in. It's <laughs> funny, that the, the angle, that it, the, the, the main angle, I always think it's like... I think Daly's number Daly, two yeah. Yeah. and you're like how's that how has Caldwell got it and it's only when you see it there but no it, it's one of those because you know that it's not coming you know it's not like a breakaway where there's an inevitability that it's going to be scored it's it's just a split second of it's a goal and it's in and then it's absolute limbs everywhere you know it's 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 carnage and yeah for for me watching Scotland it's right up there and, and I think even the old, like older generations of Scotland fans like ones who remember it they'll go yeah, while it was in a qualifying campaign, like it's still you're beating the best team in the world. Like it's you don't get you don't get that many times with Scotland, so it's got to be right up there for me. 
Yeah. I mean, he out muscles. I think it's Abidal to get to the ball as well. <laughs> like he's kind of, he, nah, he's kind of like getting you know, like they're. I mean, they're both at it as they say, but he kind of gets away from Abidal and. Yeah, it's just it's one of the, it's just an iconic goal, isn't it? It's just like I, I, there's just something about a team that gets. I mean, I wouldn't say we were battered this day, but there's a team. Obviously, Scotland aren't the better team in this game, but there's something about you know we ride our luck a little bit, but we give as good as we get in terms of. I mean, physically we match them. McFadden's probably in thin ice for most of the game. I think there's a point in the first half where Christian Daly absolutely empties Florent Maluda in the kind of near side touchline. I mean, it goes absolutely through him, but. There's something about that kind of game, and then the team that isn't fancied scores like a like from a set piece, like a bit of a scrappy goal, as as Matt said, and I think as Gary Caldwell says himself after the game, he slide tackled it in. Do you know what I mean? And it's just there's just something about that. It's just such a. I, I, I think there's. I know we'll come to it obviously in the next episode with the McFadden goal in Paris, but I prefer this goal. I just think there's something a bit more magical because it's at Hamden and in, in, in the rain, Scotland. It's a proper battle of a game when you watch it back mm-hmm. um, and it's such a scrappy goal it's just uh, I remember listening to it in the radio and it was like the comment there wasn't there wasn't even commentary it was just noise and it was just it was brilliant and I mean Ian McCall in the TV highlights him and Paul Mitchell are, are great throughout but Ian McCall sounds like he's about to collapse with excitement when that goes in it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant one of my absolutely in my top two or three Scotland goals for me the dark blues putting the pressure on. Hartley in, where comes up, chance goal! Scotland have scored! And it's Gary Caldwell! Unbelievable! That's a great corner for Paul Hartley and a super finish. Hamden simply erupts. Scotland are ahead against the best team in the world. And it's number eight, Gary Caldwell. I'm just thinking the last 24 minutes now are going to be a nightmare. Great ball in the box. And I tell you what, it's a great finish for the centre-back. The 24 minutes have been legends, every one of them. The same with me in that, again, what Fisher touches on, the fact that it's at Hamden, um, because ultimately, after the our generation, um, yeah, get the most iconic Scotland goal, I think, to be fair, probably about 90% of us would go with James McFadden uh, in Paris. Um but the fact that's at Hamden does make it a bit more special. Um, and as I said, if it were, well, obviously touching the more recent kind of Griffiths free kicks would be up there had we not bottled that in the end as well. Um, they would have been up there with my favourite goals. But no, in regards to Hamden, 100%. But I've got to say, and I see somebody made, made reference to it in the comments when we, when we put the video out, that Chris Packett man just ruins it. It's <laughs> disgusting, man. Just floating about other players climbing all over it, man. It's, it's... We get any, it, it looks like a packet ready salted. I'm just watching it now. I think it's ah, more any... pink, man. I thought it was prawn cocktail. Whereas at first I always had an image of me, it was salt and vinegar, and I hate salt and vinegar. And I was like, God, it's greasy everywhere. And then you see it now, like it's prawn <laughs> cocktail. And you're like, nah, it, it, it does ruin it. And I was quite happy to see somebody else mention that. I know that everybody <laughs> knows about it, but I remember about last year or something, the goal come up, and then I put a tweet about it, but I'm like, I always remember it for the, for the Chris packet more than anything else. But nah, Unbelievable, um, and I said and credit that night as well, man. Gary Teal, absolutely brilliant. Uh, if if I'm right in saying, um, he 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 was very good that night, and and for that campaign was was pretty decent. Um, again, somebody that you don't really hanky anymore when you hanky Scotland players, because yeah. it's not like he, he was outstanding or anything. But I mean, he played his role in that campaign, and if I remember rightly, mm-hmm. he, he played well that night. Who was Gary Teal at at the time? 
I'd Wigan. Derby, I think. Derby, I thought. Oh, oh, I, yeah. I barely remember him. So he's a player, like, apart from that Scotland campaign. That was the first time I'd seen him. Like, See, just up and... talking about uh, Gary Teal, like, there's a bit in the second half where I think we've got a corner or something, and it's Teal against Henri, and, and like, um, quite deep into the French half. And obviously, with the way the ball is, you would expect Henri to just hoof it up the line, but literally he kind of looks... And just skins him to clear it. Like he just takes a ball mm-hmm. and just runs past him and like gets past two or three players. Like Henri, I know France probably wouldn't get that night, but Henri at times looks like he just want he could take anybody on. Like, so on, classy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um but yeah, I love that that he just kinda he doesn't clear it, he just skins Gary Teal to get away. Check to, get, to clear the ball. Teal uh, Teal was at Wigan, uh, mm-hmm. and then he just signed for Derby just after that. So um, right. Former United player as well, and he played for St Mirren, obviously, at the end of his career as well. Yes, a couple of the, the comments that, that people have sent in on, on the Twitter. Andy Gormley quoted the tweet saying it's still the best Scotland game he's ever been to. The atmosphere result and opposition was amazing. Paul Mitchell, of course, who you touched on earlier, Fisher did the commentary. He quoted the tweet as well saying, I will never tire of seeing this back. What a day that was. In terms of a few other replies that we got... Uh, Ross Hart, it really felt like the South Stand upper was shaking when that goal went in. Marvellous night, complete with all the tension that is part of being a Scotland fan. Aaron McIntosh, Caldwell's finest moment. Still to this day, I wonder how a team containing the likes of Caldwell, O'Connor, Teal can beat a team with players like Vieira, Henri, Makalele, Trezeguet, among others. Um... Few, the crisp one you were talking about. I still love the crisp poke blowing about, joining in the <laughs> celebrations. That's from VBL. Another comment we got as well saying the crisp packet as part of the celebration. And finally, David James McNiven saying one of the best nights I've ever had at Hamden Park. So, yes, what a wonderful night that was. We say night, it was a 3pm kickoff, wasn't it? No, I was thinking, I th- was it? Was I, it thought it was I thought it was maybe a 5 o'clock kickoff in the Saturday. Right, uh, fair enough. I but, thought it was just three, but uh, it was just such a miserable day that it seemed late. But a mm, um, couple of other things. Darren Fletcher had a shocker that game for me. Seeing him, the amount of times he gave the ball the, away. In there that. was what there was a stray pass in the middle of the park, wasn't there? Yeah, it's just like a square across. ball, and you're like, like send it away on Rearsman. But yeah, um, I always think like, but then you see it at the end, like uh, with um, I think it's uh, Ferguson makes a run. Like down the left, and he tries to play, and I can't remember who it is. He's, he he plays in uh, right late on in the game, and you're is thinking even Hartley? then, nah, it's Hartley. Hartley breaks Hartley. clear. <laughs> no, so I he plays in Hartley. Aye, Ferguson aye. plays in Hartley, yeah, but they're yeah, both yeah. like blown out their ass. <laughs> but that that just showed you though, like that they were like deter- like so determined, like going for it. And I always remember like the. It was only funny watching back there, but Gary O'Connor's contribution to the game is obviously pacey, right? And he comes on and break away from a corner, aye, aye. and he just tries to dink the keeper from twenty five yards. <laughs> You're like, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> aye, I think there's like Ferguson's breaking into the aye. middle as well, and it kind of zooms on O'Connor, and he's just giving aye. like Ferguson the look like I, I know. But, <laughs> I mean, like, see as well. Oh, this is the corner, man. Aye, this is probably blasphemous for me at this stage, given who he went on to play for and kind of what he's meant to be like right but I really liked Paul Hartley at this stage like I, I, he was one of my favourite Scotland players I, I don't know why it's just like I remember at this time as well uh, like playing Pro Evo and what you could do was you could obviously do international tournaments but you could do qualification for them as well so I always used to make this group and like I would always try to beat like France and Italy with Scotland but it would never happen right but Paul Hartley was like my first pick 
I just had to have Paul Hartley. Like Paul Hartley and Barry Ferguson had to be my two in the midfield, man. I don't know why. I just really liked Paul Hartley uh, uh, at that point. Hartley was was absolutely class, man. I mean, and, and uh, he had he had a bit of everything, which is kind of missing now. I suppose mm. in certain players, I mean, he, he, he had everything, man. He was a grafter. He could tackle. You know what I mean? And very good with the ball, but what sticks out for me was for like free kicks and corners and stuff, man. But like the run up that he used to have, it would be a mad angle like, at the side <laughs> of the ball, just run and then come in and then whip it, man. Unreal. Because when one, you man. see the first corner, you're thinking, what's that run up of it, man? How's that? And then when you see what the corner ends up like, how does he even do that? Because he does that run up just to kind of float it into the back stick, man. But for the first one, when David Weir knocks it back out to him, and mm-hmm. they're just like, <laughs> Unreal man Bend it like Hartley (laughs) Uh, A miserable afternoon for France And a miserable afternoon for Louis Saha as well But you know a miserable period for him He was at Must have hated the sight of Glasgow Because he came back to Celtic Park the next month And lost 1-0 there as well And had an absolute nightmare So not a great time for him Mm -hmm. He did uh, So he had more of a, a say in that game at Celtic Park than he did this one at Hamden, but not a good one for France at all, but a great afternoon for Scotland and a great start to our Euro 2008 qualification campaign. Nine points from nine. The other results from that match day, the big one in Faroe Islands, Faroe Islands nil, Lithuania one, and also Italy two, Ukraine nil, two latest goals, I think 70-odd minutes from Massimo Oddo and then Luca Toni as well. So Italy kind of getting their campaign finally underway with a good win over Ukraine. Speaking of Ukraine, that was game four for us. We were away over to Kiev. I assume the game would be played on 11th of October 2006. We won't spend too much time on this game at all because it's a pretty forgettable one arguably the most forgettable of the entire campaign Alexander Kutcher and a late goal from a certain Andrei Shevchenko from the penalty spot saw the Ukrainians win 2-0 Stephen Presley sent off as well quite a defensive performance this one um, judging from you know the BBC match report and the limited highlights that we saw do you think this was a case of as you know, Walter Smith setting the team out and wanting a point and thinking that you know a point would be the perfect result, and it just didn't really work out. T- to be fair, I think though, like a game like that, man. See, after you just go and beat France, mm. it's so key to just keep the momentum going, man. So see if you can go to Ukraine and get a point. That is Great unbelievable, result, yeah. unbelievable. Like, like as I said, I mean, the only thing I could compare it to would be like like beating one of the old firm at home and then having Aberdeen away at Petardry and then get up there and getting a point. Like that's you, you just you, you keep the momentum going. So I think that was the right way to approach that game. And as as you know yourself, I mean like although it was defensive, like we still had a few chances. I remember in the highlights there, that Kenny Miller chance, man, oh. that's guilt edge, man. He's got a free header. I know he's diving for it as well, but he's right on the penalty spot. If he get if he gets that and targets a goal, you know what I mean? So it's just those those thin margins. Um but no, I I do think I mean, people probably criticise Smith for it, but remember who we're playing against, man. Ukraine, you're going European, fo- uh, sorry, international football. Anybody away from home, man, is is always if you can get a point out it, especially teams like Ukraine. And that that's a massive result. So you're going there expected to get beat. If you can keep the momentum going, that's mm. could only be seen as a positive for me. It, it's tough as well because obviously, if you've had such the kind of emotional toll of beating France at home with obviously that game was an absolute roller that 90 minutes was an absolute roller coaster so mentally and physically the players have got to be knackered then you've got to go to Ukraine which isn't exactly the most friendly of places to have to go after such a big game you it's know. another shithole isn't it a bit like Lithuania. <laughs> 
Well, there's no you. Well, there's no Ukrainians listening, man. But um, I, yeah, I think it's just you've seen it at every level. Whether it's like as I say, Rangers and Celtic after a big European game coming to play like a league game at the weekend, or you know a, a team out with the old firms maybe won a cup and then they've got a league game after it, and it, it's difficult to to lift yourself. And I think that's the case here. I had no idea that this was Robbie Nielsen's debut. He didn't seem. I know. Play. I was going to touch on that. Uh, Robbie Nielsen was playing right back. <laughs> I think it's because obviously you see in the highlights of the France game, Daly gets booked, and it's it, it's quite interesting because it pans to Walter Smith and he's got his head and his hands when it when they're talking about, <laughs> because he's obviously realised like Daly's going to be out, and Daly I think's played uh, certainly every away game so far. So um, yeah, but Nielsen didn't really seem to, to cope very well, judging by the the kind of limited highlights that we saw. So it's, it's somewhere to get thrown in for your international debut. To be fair, on it, man. Uh-huh. See so up yeah. against what, like Andre Vorinen or whatever Shevchenko oh, stuff. Or it's a good team they had, as we say, like yeah. last year at the, the World Cup. Mm. I mean, that's a good team, and oh, in many groups, that, well. uh, aye, that was other one I was going to mention. In many groups, that would be your your top seeds probably getting to the, the quarter final. So in our group, they were the third seeds. A uh, couple other things, just for me personally, I was in America at this stage. I'd just flown over to America, and we'll probably have more on that in episode two because it was a real theme of this qualification campaign. When I'm thinking back to the games that I was in. America for about half I, of them. I was the same. I was the Were same. You? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Minnesota. Uh, um, we 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 had friends that lived over there, so we used to go every year. And it was either in the summer or it was in the uh, the October games. So right, I think October we always went. There's a, at least two of the games that I'm in the states for. Uh, wasn't this year, but the following year I was. Yeah. And then, I so yeah. I was there for the Georgia and the Ukraine games. Oh, same. We could touch on. <laughs> Bizarre. Fantastic. Uh, the thing I remember about this game, and it's nothing to do with Scotland or Ukraine at all, but I remember seeing the results. I must have had highlights of some sort, um, or maybe it was just seeing match reports, but England played this night as well. They lost away to Croatia, funnily enough. Mm. And is that, is that the one game. with the Gary Neville? Paul Robinson. Back? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah it was, it was Gary Neville that scored the uh, one goal, but it was Robinson's yeah. mistake. Um, mm-hmm. And for some reason that just sticks out like a sore thumb from, from that night. Aye. But I think a pretty forgettable night. But, you know, nine points from 12, it was a good start. Elsewhere, Georgia won, Italy three, and France five, Faroe Islands now. That's obviously one goal less than we managed against the Faroe Islands. So, again, that just goes to show what was happening. The table at that stage after four games, Scotland nine, France nine, Italy seven, Ukraine six, Lithuania four, Georgia three, and Faroe Islands zero. Everything was going well, Fisher, and then... Uh, then uh, Rangers decided to get rid of... Well, Le Guin decided to leave Rangers and uh, Walter came back to Ibrox. Um, Just get, give us a bit of background on, on what was happening at Rangers and why they felt that Walter Smith was it was the time for, for him to come back. So by that point, obviously, the 2005-2006 season would finish third. We'd had the good run in the Champions League for, uh, which is quite unexplainable considering how terrible we were in the league um, McLeish who obviously we'll get to know a lot better um, leaves in the summer of 2006 we get Paul Le Guin uh, who'd had a year out from football but had won like three leagues or two leagues or something on the trot with Leon. so he comes in um, I think one of the kind of you know bright young managers in Europe at the time he comes in European wise, uh, he, he was he was good. He got us to the UEFA Cup group stages. He was actually unbeaten uh, in his time at Rangers in Europe. But domestically, obviously, um, was was 
terrible. Uh, we'd lost to Inverness twice. Falkirk, Dundee United were 17 points clear, at, um, sorry, 17 points behind Celtic. Um, and we'd also been knocked out by, uh, of the, the then CIS Cup League Cup um, by St Johnston, which was the first time that Rangers had been knocked out of a, a cup competition at Ibrox by a lower league side. You then factor in as well some of the signings he made. It really wasn't great. And then obviously it came ahead with the Barry Ferguson situation that I think everybody kind of remembers and that Barry Ferguson likes to speak about every two to three weeks in the papers. <laughs> uh, so that happened. Um, and then obviously Le Guin leaves. And I think it's it's really there's one game um, before Walter comes in, which we get knocked out of the Scottish Cup by Dunfermline, the the 3-2 game where we're 3-0 down. Gerard was in charge for that, wasn't he? Gerard was in charge. That, uh, I think yeah. it's, uh, I'm sure McCoy's just spoken about it, like that he always kind of winds Gerard up that he's got a 100% losing record as uh, <laughs> Rangers manager. Um, Boyd actually came on and, and tried to kind of rescue the game for us that day, but it, but it didn't quite work. Um, and then obviously after I think it's maybe two or three days after that Walter comes back and I think uh, at the time he said or he subsequently said it's the only team he would have left Scotland for um, so yeah he came back and kind of steadied the ship and then obviously everybody kind of knows how it, how it goes from there obviously getting to Manchester and winning the league but um, yeah Walter obviously leaves Scotland and, and it's another former Rangers manager that, that steps in Right, so as you say, Smith moves on, McLeish comes in. Can we remember any other names who were in the frame at that stage? I couldn't. I was thinking of this earlier, right, and I know he was at Celtic at the time, but I'm certain Strachan was linked with it. Oh dear. I always remember Jeffrey's man used to be kind of always in the bookies on for the Scotland manager, man, uh, when he was at Kiwi. Because uh, obviously this there was an opening obviously a couple of times, obviously McLeish, then Burley, and then Levine. Um, so in that kind of era, I always remember Jeffries was linked. I always remember Kevin Keegan was apparently linked at one point, but that just totally does not make sense given the fact that he was England manager. But I was quite young at that point, thinking, wow. Because I remember somebody apparently gave, as I just referred to my dad, absolutely hate Scotland, but uh, somebody gave us a tip that Kevin Keegan had been interviewed for the Scotland job. Uh, but I think this was... A- after that, I think this was to be fair. The I thought Burley got it, and he was like twenty to one to get it or something. And then like my dad had like ten or twenty quid on it, but it obviously never happened, man. But I was just a wee guy, so obviously I forgot that. Obviously, now I'm well aware that he was England manager. You know what I mean? But you're thinking, oh, that'd be weird, man, wouldn't it? But aye. I'm I'm certain that well, obviously Burley had left Hearts the season before, so you'd have to imagine that he was linked he to the been at that stage. I'm sure Terry, I know Terry Butcher I think was assistant under Burley but I think he might have been mentioned as well or something like that but I mean you look at if you go back and you know, look at the managers in terms of like from a Scottish perspective that were available I think McLeish is by far and away at that time the, the oh, kind of best candidate Oh, without so a doubt, it was the right appointment like at that stage 100% I mean if you're losing Walter Smith I remember being gutted that obviously away back to the Rangers but when you're bringing in McLeish I mean it was I say it was it was it was a very good appointment, but then you're in the same situation six months later. Mm-hmm. I mean, see when you're talking about Terry Butcher, do you remember he refused to shake hands with Diego Maradona? Maradona, yeah, uh, 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 man, it was like forty years ago. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we're going off topic a wee bit. But yeah, Water Smith leaves start of January. We don't play until twenty fourth of March two thousand and seven. This is game five. About. Six or seven months have passed since our last match, so it's a big, big gap between the Ukraine away game and Georgia at home. We've got a new manager in place, but we beat Georgia 2-1, the most dramatic of finishes. Chris Boyd opens the scoring. 
with a header, then shot at Arvaladze, equalises for Georgia, and then it's not until the 89th minute when, of all the people in the world to score for Scotland, Craig Beatty bundles in uh, the winner. Miller, and is it going to go in here? Yes, it is. Craig Beatty has come off the bench to score his first international goal and to maybe win it for Scotland with a couple of minutes left. Who'd have thought it? Can you guys remember the, the kind of your overriding emotions after the game? Was it relief? Was it joy? Was it frustration that we hadn't won by more? Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think again I-, I think it was probably billed as one of these teams that right, well Scotland have done well so far or Georgia like I don't I don't know if we have I don't think we'd ever actually played Georgia at that point uh, like in obviously a campaign in the 90s I don't even think that would have been a thing so they're a bit unknown and to be honest the only player that anybody would have actually known was probably Averladze. Um I mean he'd obviously been away from he'd been away from Rangers for a few years hadn't he by then uh, what's the I had left 2005 after we yeah. won the league yeah. yeah so like there's not a lot there but from what I always remember it, it kind of like I know it's obviously easy to kind of split the two you know the, the Smith era and the um, McLeish era but I always remember like Alan Hutton emerging off of this camp off of like under McLeish mm-hmm. uh, which I was actually surprised looking back that he wasn't really involved in the games but then presumably he'd always just broken into the Rangers team well, but, this, um, aye, this is the kind of because Hutton at Rangers had kind of came through 2004-05 and I don't think anybody was particularly enamoured with him but towards the end of Le Guin's time at Rangers and then as Walter, obviously Walter Smith comes back to Rangers Hutton kind of goes in this run of form which kind of comes all the way through to the January of 2008 when he gets his move to Spurs um, and it's certainly listening to people talk about it at the time it was kind of like this, like Alan Hutton just kind of seemed to just kind of burst into this player mm-hmm. that obviously ends up going to Spurs that nobody had expected to. So I think that kind of correlates with the fact that he starts to kind of play more for for Scotland at this time. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so something I wanted to touch on about this game because you know you look at this whole qualification campaign and continually we say we're hard done by and you know the whole Panucci stuff obviously that will come on to in the second episode, but. Folk do forget we scored last minute in this game, and mm-hmm. if we hadn't beaten Georgia despite the good start we'd made, I personally think it would have been really, really tough um, to qualify. You look at the other results for this match day, Ukraine beat Faroe Islands 2-0 away from home and France scored a kind of late-ish goal to beat Lithuania 1-0 away. So again, it just shows how tough a team Lithuania were to play against. But, you know, if we hadn't won this game, I think we'd have really struggled. And you think maybe folk kind of don't mention that enough. They, they continually look at how hard done by we were with Italy beating us in the last minute, but they kind of forget that we scored a, a lot of late goals in, in this qualification campaign. You know, you think of Lithuania when we scored, I think, a couple of kind of late-ish goals, um, and obviously this Georgia game as well. No, absolutely, Hamish, because, I mean, you look at it, as you said, you've obviously got the... Um, when Smith leaves, obviously, kind of like uh, December, beginning of January, like, like McLeish has got like a couple of months before he's got this game, so there's a lot of pressure on him for what we would be looking at as a pretty winnable match. You're thinking home to Georgia, or that should be three points, no bother. So there's obviously a lot of pressure on the Hink, but accounts we obviously started well, but when they get the goal, we just kind of were a bit shaken. And as you said, credit to them to, to go all the way to the end and and get that late goal. And as you said, I didn't realise how key it was. Like, I knew it was a key goal, but see when you're talking about all the other games, how that affected it. It's a massive, massive goal. Um, and obviously set us 
to to how close we we really got in the end. Yeah, I think the campaign probably fizzles out if we don't win this game. Yeah. To be honest, because I think obviously you can split it into the two parts with with the start of the campaign with Walter Smith. We've had such a positive start. McLeish's first game. If we don't get the win, then it's it's kind of. Scotland as normal. I just remember this being a really, really tense game. Obviously, we all, I think we all know the, the kind of treehouse in here. Um, but it, before it is what it is today, it used to be a sports bar and there was a massive projector up. And I remember being in there. I distinctly remember this because, I, obviously, as I said, I didn't have Sky or that at, at the time at home. So I would listen to a lot of the games of the radio. But I was in there with, with my brothers and stuff like that watching the game. And I just remember it being really, really nervous. Um, and that Craig Beatty goal is probably the first time in my life where obviously you're in a pub and a kind of late goal goes in and the place just goes fucking batshit yeah. crazy <laughs> like it was just just mental and I remember that and um, yeah I remember Craig I don't think I'd really even heard of Craig Beatty really at this point before he scored um, but it was it was quite ironic actually I mean I Arvaladze scoring for Georgia I mean he scored some really really big goals for McLeish for Rangers and obviously he scores in his debut here but yeah um, certainly just going back to the original point I, I definitely think the campaign I know we don't ultimately get to the Euros but I think it probably would have been confirmed a lot sooner had we not won this game I was at the cinema for this one that's how impressive <laughs> I was in Scotland's campaign Night of the Museum I was seeing oh. in Odin and Kilmarnock so uh, came out and I vaguely remember just hearing the news, the film must have finished about five o'clock and I checked the score and realised we'd scored late on. So I've got very little memory of that at all. But yeah, another good victory for Scotland, as we say, wins for Ukraine and France at the same match day, um, meaning that you know we, we kind of kept up in the hunt. Although we went away our following game, game six, away to the World Champions, the toughest game you can get in world football. It was played in Barry and... Um, Late March 2007, we all know how it went. It finished 2-0. 2-0 away defeat seemed to be the theme for us that, that cost us in this qualification campaign. Luca Tony, who I absolutely despise even more after watching the highlights, scored a double in this game. Never rated him, never liked him. Always thought he just scored oh. horrible tap-ins. He was a European Chris Boyd. I despise them, and I know for your look, Casey, that you're going to say you loved them. Absolutely, man. That, they don't make strikers like him anymore, I'll tell you that for free. But I hate no. him, and the one nowadays that hates Cavani as well. I think they're horrible footballers. Nah, man. Look at Tony, and watching highlights just brings it back. I'm just like, ah, total penalty box striker. Brilliant, man. Let's say you don't see that anymore. But my, my recollection first game is actually really funny because... So I'm dead nervous, but I'd assume your schools would be the same. But did you ever go on like a primary seven trip away with other Aye. primary schools before uh-huh. you went to academy? So this was we were in Inverclyde for this, um, for when this game was on. It was just quite funny because I remember everybody, um, like all the kind of schools in that and the kind of lounge watching the, the Scotland Italy game together. It was just <laughs> quite quite funny in it. But um, no, nah, it was just like, I wasn't expecting much. Um, you're obviously got the Italy, but the wee boy in you stills maybe thinking, well, you never know. But nah, it was pretty run-of-the-mill performance for Italy. You know, I don't think that we were kind of yeah. ever in danger of getting anything out of it. Again, it was probably one of them. You're looking at it to try and if you can get a point there, it's unbelievable. But I don't think we were ever going there ever really expecting to, to get anything more than a point. And a point would be would have been massive. Yeah, they always say, you know, it's a big game in Italy when they move it to Barry, a place <laughs> when, you know, they get the real hostile home support. So um, I thought that was interesting as well. Do you guys remember, this game I think was live on BBC, mm-hmm. do you remember the TV advert for the game at all? 
No. No. This is something that sticks out in my mind. It was like a, a Pavarotti type <laughs> opera singing and they had a song and it, it was like this real opera song with like Scotland based lyrics, like all the players' names and like we're gonna go to Italy and get a result. Was and Avril Levine involved at all, man? <laughs> Avril Levine? I don't know if Pavarotti was still around at this stage or if he'd already <laughs> nah, popped his clogs, but um, it was, I remember that about this game, but apart from that, I think it was just a, a kind of fairly forgettable. We had a, one good chance in the first half, Kenny Miller, and the highlights that we've been looking, the only ones we could see online are from some America, I think it's maybe Fox Sports or whatever in America, and the American kind of analyzer describes it as a bike kick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, is there anything that the Americans won't ruin? Yeah. And he's he's, he's he's offside anyway, isn't it? Maybe that's where oh. I'm getting mixed up. Sorry, see when I referred to the Ukraine miss. No, I think I'm there mi- no, there's a header in the yeah. Ukraine. Oh right, so I was right because I was thinking, oh wait, maybe uh, maybe that was Italy game I was yeah. getting mixed up with. Um, but no, I like the, the the Fox Sport commentary is absolutely genius for that man. Yeah. I always felt just touching on obviously the BBC. I always felt whenever Scotland were on the BBC, it was just like we were always yeah. rotten. Like, yeah, I remember <laughs> I it was like exactly Moldova away like. where we drew. Obviously, um, we lost this game. There was the Italy game on the BBC where Pirlo scored two free kicks. Ah, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah. That it was a quality yellow, yellow strip. Yeah. Aye, so I always seemed like whenever we were on the BBC, um, we would lose. But I've got to take issue with your look at Tony comments, man. <laughs> unforgivable. I used to do his celebration in the back garden. Like, <laughs> that just was... fucking annoyed me when I saw him doing <laughs> that, man. Oh, no, well, I, I mentioned before this Italy team is like, or well, this kind of generation Italy team is like my favourite out with kind of Rangers or whatever. So, aye, you can't, I'll, I'll not hear a bad word about uh, look at Tony. I'm, I'm firmly in Casey's camp with this one. Any memories for that game, Matt? Not a lot. Again, funny Fisher mentions that about the kind of BBC things. I always remember as well, like the the midweek games always just, whenever you're going away from home, it just seems like it was crap weather. Like it was just rain or or it was like, it was almost dark and correct. Like, Especially you got like that kind of big Olympic style stadium with Italy. Kind of, there's always seems to be a mist around it, and yeah, I I barely remember this game because I I actually got them mixed up initially. I thought it was the uh, the but it was before watching the highlights. It was the two 0 Walter Smith. I think it was the his Pirlo first game. And, uh, yeah, the San Siro, the two Rab Douglas and goals, and there's actually a cracking video of like it's like Scotland fans. It's got heaps of views on YouTube. It's like Scotland fans singing Doa Deer in the San Siro. It's like honestly got, and that's the only thing from that game that I, I can remember that a uh, the yellow kit. Hey, but I barely, like I said, I barely remember this apart from, and just on Luca Tony, I've seen him play Pitodre and be out muscled by Xander Diamond. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, Fisher. Hey, Hamish, I'm not, I don't remember him being that great, but I think he must add a hell of a record. Just the typical Scotland goal sort of concede in it, and that kind of, like, I think with the away game, certainly when you play against a big team, that there was almost maybe a sense of inevitability that the kind of the, a goal was coming for this other team rather than that France game albeit we're under the cosh. I don't, like, I always feel like the crowd are so into it that it didn't matter, you know, like, it, whereas, like, maybe it's Paul Mitchell's commentary of kind of, he, he's kind of setting the scene of, he's thinking it's maybe going to happen, but, um, yeah, wasn't a, wasn't a memorable yeah, game anyway. Funny you say about, obviously, just the goals, our typical goals to concede, and that was kind of what I was picking up on, so, you know, I was watching back the highlights, and you're just like, and again, I'm not trying to, try to be a dinosaur in that again, but like, you're like, see how much football's changed, man. Unreal. Like, I don't think you see 
goals like that anymore. Just so simple, man. Just ball it wide, cross into the box, six yard mm. goal. Like, see the <laughs> just the way teams are drilled now. Like, like it's just side to side all the time, and, and nothing really happens. Whereas that was just it was so simple. But that's the world championship player against. You know what I mean? They are the best team in the world at that point. But they still just get the ball wide, cross, goal. You know what I mean? Like mm. um, yeah. everything's far too overcomplicated um, to an extent yeah. now. But that's down to how how tactically aware teams are now. Spain um, probably got a lot to answer for as well with their, their team. Pass, aye, pass, like, pass, 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 pass. Absolutely, I'm, absolutely. I'm, and as I said, I'm not trying to criticise that style of play because it's brilliant and everything there. And I just, I, I just, that's why I don't enjoy kind of European football and that as much anymore. I just don't think that, I, I kind of get excited watching it. I don't think that there's enough. And I'm not talking about, hey, listen, 4-4-2, four, four, big man, wee man up top, launch it. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about that. Just like, when you look at my United and our Ferguson as well, man, wingers all the time, just boys it wide, cross yeah. into the box, man. And it's, that's entertaining to watch. I prefer that yeah. kind of style of direct football. The, the thing I noticed just kind of looking at the, the highlights of this game, and it probably reflects the change um, of, of manager the best, is gone into this game and there's more width natural width in the team um, I mean you've kind of got your midfield of Ferguson Hartley and, and Scott Brown at that time to be fair was more of a wide player but you've got Teal and McCulloch as well so we're, we're certainly going a lot more um, offensive than we did uh, sorry away from home than we did at home to to France under Walter Smith where your midfield is Fletcher Ferguson Caldwell Hartley and McCulloch so you can already see there's a bit of a change I think you know McLeish is significantly less pragmatic shall we say um, in these type of games whereas with Walter Smith going there you, you probably would have you wouldn't have had as much width you'd have been more compact and certainly Scotland were a lot easier to play through going by the highlights of that game and just what I can remember than we were um, in previous away games and that kind of sets the tone I suppose for, for the rest of the campaign yeah, so Italy 2, Scotland 0 and Barry. The other two scores from that match day were Ukraine 1, Lithuania 0 and Georgia 3, Faroe Islands 1. Scotland were then off for the next match day. It was our kind of turn to sit in the sidelines. So the three results then were Lithuania 1, Georgia 0, France 2, Ukraine 0 and Faroe Islands 1, Italy 2. Italy just getting a win in Faroe Islands. Really unconvincing Italy so far in this campaign. However, the table at the halfway stage did stand like this. France were top with 15 points from six matches, just that one defeat against ourselves. Italy had 13 points from six matches. We had 12. Ukraine were the same. And then uh, Lithuania were third bottom. They had seven points from six games, and then the bottom two had both played seven games. Georgia had six points, and the Faroe Islands still had zero points. So that's how the group stood. We were in third place, a good start to qualification campaign, but as we know, it was only halfway there and a long way to go. Lots of ups and downs to come in part two, guys, and um, probably even more good memories in part two, more iconic games, because a few kind of forgettable ones and the ones we've spoken about today but I think pretty much every game had a real talking point in part two. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Pleasure, Pleasure. to be here. Yep. Appreciate it, and hopefully we'll do this sometime soon. Thank you very much for listening to this. As we say, part two should be with you when we can get together. Hopefully sometime in the next week or so, we'll talk about all the final six games of the qualification campaign. Massive highs, of course as well as undescribable lows, but we'll do our best to describe them. Hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, please feel free to tell a pal about it. 
broadcast it wherever you want and um yeah hopefully you've you've enjoyed what we're talking about as we took a trip down memory lane to do with scotland until next time we'll speak to you soon